Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Stay tuned with the two of two O's. We will begin in mass invasion. We will tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you can be so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It will make us duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that we will give you witchcraft. Overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message of the Great Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Good evening, everybody. It's Talkcast 212, and we're so close to Christmas that there's no energy left to buy anyone. <laughs> You know, I came up with an interesting revelation, and that is, I, I start every show by saying good evening, which makes absolutely no sense, because most people do not listen to the show live. They listen to it either on iTunes or stream it off the website. So it could be good mid-afternoon, it could be good late morning, it could be, hey, why the hell are you up at five in the morning? Uh, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Just reminding you that this close to Christmas, nothing right is ever going to happen, which is why we started the show three times already today. Deep in Area 51 on Sub-Level 9, True North Slidewalk, next to the Marty Noxon School of Phlebotomy, I am the Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight are the usual suspects in the Revere Time Vortex, a violent soundboard vixen who went, hey, I wonder what this button does tonight. President of technicalness, sometimes level-headed, oft-times outspoken, potentially acerbic, she put the cat in catness and the cute in cuteness, whatever that means, Priyana. Are we going to talk about how cute I am? Well, I don't know because we <laughs> don't have the rest of the Animaniacs here, which is a shame. <laughs> that would be fun. From the stacks of a personal silent zone in the dank dungeon reading room, when she remembers to unmute herself, she can be interesting or verbose, but never both. Personal assistant Jeff Peterson, friend of robots everywhere, Zombrarian. I tell you, Dome, today is shaping up to be almost as good as the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> we, we are so screwed. We are so screwed. From the Four Color Vaults of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, the Ginger Ingenue, best remembered as the understudy for Blanche Dead Bois in the zombie version of Tennessee Williams' Dead Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, our beautiful dead redhead. But isn't as good as the Doctor Who Christmas episode that was just canine and one of the companions with no doctor, which I understand was pretty bad. Kind of refutes the whole purpose of it being a Doctor Who Christmas special. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Our guest tonight uh, is uh, from Zoco Publishing, Tom Zotos. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Good evening. Good evening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, truth be told, Tommy and I go back a long, long time. Yeah, back to the Pliocene. Well, <laughs> actually... Back to uh, the future. The, the oil deposits were actually already formed at that point, but what the hell. Whatever you say, though. Yeah, and Tommy and I actually bumped into each other again at Boston Comic Con this year not having seen each other in years, 
<laughs> it's kind of like fifty. It was a tough bump. <laughs> yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> so anyhow, we're going to talk about you know what's gone on in the past blah, 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 years and uh, Zoko Publishing and, and some of the incredibly cool graphics that uh, Tommy has been bringing around and what's going on new. As we do every week, uh, we're going to start off the show with uh, this week, and of course it's, as I said, the week before uh, the holidays, which means absolutely freaking nothing is going on. Uh, <laughs> so we've been kind of scrambling around going, does anybody have any news this week? Is also, I mean, we already did our gift guide, so... Yeah, yeah. and... Uh, so, I mean, I, I guess what we could do is talk about some, some Kickstarters and stuff, and 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 there's, you know, uh, whatever. Sombrarian, you, you had something you really wanted to talk about. I do. I have the wrong show notes open. <laughs> <laughs> talk about a different one while I get the right ones. Oh, oh I, I suppose. Uh, yeah, what are the Kickstarters? Oh, worst Kickstarter of the month. Um, and I don't know if it's actually, I think it is intentionally the worst Kickstarter of the month. It's called Project Moonbase. And Project Moonbase is uh, a television show that they're trying to put together that's actually being done by uh, MJ Lockheed and JC Bagley, who are uh, essentially reality producers. And what they want to do is essentially take science fiction and reality television and mold it into a scripted series that is as follows. In 2043, the astronauts on Moonbase Genesis are replaced with the cast of reality TV rejects to create a Big Brother in Space television show because funding has been cut. Yeah, exactly. That hits a little too close to home. <laughs> I, what? I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, here's the thing. There's 18 days left to go in this. They've got about 10 grand of the 350 that they need. So, I'm not sure that this, this one is actually going to make it. Doesn't sound like it. But I don't think so. They're talking uh, about, you know, it's it's an interesting premise. Their budget, I think. Is it? I think so. Why? It, it could be, well, who who among us hasn't seen and enjoyed Earth Girls Are Easy? Uh, <laughs> seen or enjoyed? There we no, go. It wasn't, an and, it wasn't an or, it was an and. No, I think it has to be an or. I haven't done either one. <laughs> seen and not enjoyed. And that's saying something? I don't know. I kind of think it's... If you look at the clips that they've embedded into it... I'd rather not. It could, it could be kind of interesting. I don't think we should encourage reality TV of any sort. <laughs> there is that as well. So, I, I'm more interested in... Furries in it. Let, yeah, let's talk about good things, like communities starting back up again. And, um... Actually, I started this new TV show. It's um, a teen drama about Mary, Queen of Scots. Oh, no, not the one that's <laughs> CW, is it? Oh, yeah. 
Oh, oh yeah. Oh. This thing is actually fucking awesome. Oh, no. As long as you don't care that it's about Mary, Queen of Scots, and expect it to have any historical relevance whatsoever, it's awesome. It's kind of like oh, watching well, Sleeping Hollow. Well, it's, it's less good at historical things in Sleepy Hollow, I think. I, I mean, just just a lot of their dresses have, like, really shiny material, and I'm like, that's totally plastic. But, <laughs> maybe it's low budget, that's beside the point. The costumes are gorgeous, the girls are gorgeous, and the guys aren't bad looking. Okay. And there's, there's some scandal... There's potentially maybe a supernatural element. Maybe. Tell me something new. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be new. It's just pretty. It's fun to watch. It's entertaining. More entertaining than... basically the Tudors with less sex. Well, I haven't seen the Tudors. It might, it might still have as much sex as that. I don't know. No, the Tudors had, like, full frontal. Because it was on HBO. Oh, well, it's still on the CW, so we can assume that that is not true. So, basically, what you're telling me is the Tudors is winning. Could be. Can, yes. you, can you actually say winning when you're involved in this discussion? Yes, you can, because... Um, yeah? It's an awesome show. Fuck you, haters. Just like you hated Supernatural. Some of you came around. Some of you have yet to come around. Supernatural is a fucking awesome show. This is shaping up to be another fucking awesome show. I'm not saying that it doesn't sound interesting. I'm just saying... It sounds more interesting than Big Brother on the fucking Moon. Well, yeah. I mean, no, we're, we're not making that analogy. That yes, we are. That's exactly right. the analogy that I'm making. Oh, good lord. Yeah, but that's a pretty low bar to set. Yes, it is. It's a ridiculous... I watched The Vampire Diaries. The bar is not that high to begin with. Okay, anybody who watched The Vampire Diaries knows that that bar is just basically six inches off the ground. (laughs) And yet, Big Brother on the Moon seems to be subterranean. It could well be. And like I said, I'm not going to argue that. Good! But, uh... Fine! (laughs) <laughs> Tonight, the news said 14 million people watched Duck Dynasty, so the bar is very low. Sweet Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, and you're making fun of me for the Vampire Diaries. Yes, I am, and I'm going to continue to. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about something good. I was. Isn't there like a slew of good movies coming out tomorrow? No, well, I there might be, but I have found my show notes. Oh, finally? Congratulations. <laughs> I am together and on point tonight. I'm telling All right. you. All right. Star Wars Christmas special. We're going to hit that mark. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. So my Kickstarter tonight yeah. is uh, actually features two friends of the show. Uh, Diana Foe, also known as Eileen the Peacemaker, who is... <laughs> Like, literally our friend, and also who has appeared on a couple of our steampunk episodes. Can I just say, we went to school with some of the coolest people. We really did. Um, And this project also features um, Pip Morris, who we had on with her husband, T. And it was one of my favorite interviews we've done this year. 
So it, I was was a, happy. it was a great interview. It was a wonderful interview. So I was really happy to see her name attached to this project. And the project is, drumroll, wasn't that great? Priyana, don't we have a drumroll? She's looking for it. She's going to set it off in the middle of my next sentence. Probably. Okay. So the steam, the project is called Steampunk World, and it is a multicultural steampunk fiction anthology. And their premise is that so much steampunk centers around Europe and America, um, but there were interesting things going on all over the world in that time period. So this is steampunk um, from Asia and oh, Africa cool. and South America, and it and um, the art looks absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it's being done by James Ng. And good news, the project is already funded. Good news, everyone. There we go. 20 days left to go. So you will be, if, if you decide that this sounds interesting and you want it on your Christmas list, it is guaranteed to come to you. Wow, that's amazing. And and what's, what's the budget? Uh, they wanted six thousand. They currently have six thousand six hundred and seventy-five. Uh, they're paying the artist and all their authors professional rates, which is important to us here at Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Totally. Um, and it's just—it looks like it's shaping up to be a phenomenal project. And if anyone wanted to get Zombrarian a Christmas present, hint, 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 hint. This could be a thing to get. You know what the cool thing is? There, there's this marvelous little pie chart in their in their project notes that so that when you throw ten dollars at the ten dollar level, it shows you exactly where every penny of it's going. Yep. And that's kind 71 of seventy one of your pennies are going straight to the authors. Yep. Which is amazing. And less than 10% of it is for fees, which is amazing. That They've done a great job of uh, taking all the guesswork out of why is this cost so much. In fact, it's not that much to begin with. But aside from that, um, it's kind of really cool. Yeah. And their rewards are also really adorable. Um, you have missed out on having one of the authors knit you a pair of steampunk fingerless gloves. <laughs> Which, and the pledge for that was not bad. But there were only three available and they're gone. Sorry. This looks like great fun, to be honest with you. Doesn't it look really cool? Mm-hmm. Like, I was getting ready to... Uh, promote this even before I saw who was involved and then I was reading down the list of names and I said, oh, we know them! Yeah. They're nice people! They, in fact, they are. Yeah. So nice people doing cool shit. Yep. Go back them. The end. Love Zombrarian. <laughs> that sounds good. I think she likes this one. What can I tell you? Um, there's one that's over. 
that I wanted to just say yay about. Uh, it's an all-female science fiction fantasy anthology called Athena's Daughters. And uh, it was launched by a, a company called Silence in the Library Publishing, uh, which sits as a platform for female authors, authors, artists, and graphic designers to showcase. And this one is actually going out into the bookstores next month. It is edited by Jean Rabe. And uh, Pam Melroy is one of the, uh, wrote the introduction to it. If you don't know who she is, she's a former astronaut and space shuttle commander. And uh, there are just a whole slew of uh, new and, and emerging female writers. All the stories feature female protagonists who exhibit strength and include the usual range of both heroes and villa villains. So uh, I am really looking forward to this one. It's one of the ones that uh, I've been watching for a while, but I got there too long. But uh, I got there, I mean, too late to actually participate in it. Okay. Uh, which which kind of pissed me off because I really uh, spend a lot of time. I spend more time on Kickstarter than I actually should. <laughs> they needed 8500 They got pledges of uh, 23000 So. Uh, so they're it, done. Yeah, they're done. They're they're already, and uh, I it might be interesting to get them involved in at Silence in the Library Publishing, out of uh, out of Washington D.C. because uh, this just looks like or another really fun, cool project. Really, that now I'm there in the. <laughs> this is the <laughs> problem with the news. I get so distracted looking at the stuff we're talking about. I forget to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, and you're sitting here, and, and you know, somebody like me, I'm sitting here and I'm wondering, God damn, this would be cool. <laughs> so, yeah. I wish, I wish I knew some of these authors, too, and I don't. But, uh... So that I could say, oh, this one looks incredibly, but I don't know any of them because they're all virtually new uh, and, and emerging authors. Uh, if, oh, whoa, 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 oh. I swear, are you on the Kickstarter page? No, I, I left. There's... It looks, uh, some of the graphics in there you will look at and you'll go, I think I know that artist. And it isn't who I think it is. But it sure looks like her, some of her work. Interesting. Yeah, I thought I so. I think I know who you're talking about now. Yeah. We can, I, We don't have to be cryptic. It's, it, it looks like Sarah's? It looks oh. like a Sarah Richards piece. And it's actually done by Freddie Scribbles, whoever that is. Hmm. Cool. But, geez, some of the artwork in here is really nice. So, this is something that, you know, if you're, uh, if you're interested in, in, you know, working with young and emerging authors and young and emerging uh, artists, this is another place where you can go and spend some of your hard-earned money 
uh, because I spend way too much money on Kickstarter projects right now. But oh my god, this one looks cool. So, uh, who's got anything else? Well, uh, I could not remember if we had spoken about this before, but apparently Peter Jackson put out there that he would like to direct an episode of Doctor Who, and he's willing to do it for the price of just one Dalek. Which I think they should just give it the damn Dalek. I mean... Well, what the hell is he going to do with it in New Zealand? I don't understand that. Don't ask. Okay. <laughs> Just give him the Dalek. He's going to try to redo the Scourge of the Shire and do it right this time. <laughs> he has the money. He could probably do a live action role play. Scourge of the Shire. Now with Daleks. That's right. Looks like Daleks, don't they? <laughs> so wow. I found that one. It's like, I, I vote that they should just give him the Dalek. And also the Shia LaBeouf, this was kind of a kind of a dick thing to do. Um, Shia LaBeouf, La or however you say his LaBeouf. name, LaBeouf. LaBeouf. Um, apparently, literally ripped off a Dan Klaus comic. And for those of us who are very into indie comics, Dan Klaus is one of the greats of indie comics. He did. Ghost World, he did, um, which is what the movie was based on. Um, he did like a hand, a uh, velvet hand cast in no, no, a an Iron Hand, an Iron Hand cast in velvet. Um, he's got a detective series, which is my favorite one, called Lloyd Llewellyn. And he, uh, Shia, took one of his stories and made his own movie of it, and didn't tell Dan Klaus he was doing it and then started to take this movie around to the uh, indie film festivals. Classic. Just classic. And if you think about it, let's see, you're going to an indie film festival about an indie comic film and thinking no one would catch on. Yeah. So people caught on and they were like, what the hell are you doing? So he already made the film? Yeah, he had made a short film on his own. Well, no, he had Dan made the Klaus short film stories. Using, using Dan Klaus Without comic asking as him. the basis for it. Without asking him. Classic. What yep. a classy guy. Yep. <laughs> that reminds me that there is some this song floating about the internet that I will find and put in the show notes. And it's an odd, like, semi-spoken word thing, which it, it, but it's funny, it's not what you're thinking, now that I've said odd semi-spoken word, all about Shia LaBeouf stalking you through the forest and killing you, and one of the lines is, <laughs> actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's a great song. <clears throat> yeah, well, I'm for it right now, just based I'm on... I'm not what... doing it justice right now. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> so We'll find the link for it. That's we'll for sure. find a link and put it in the show notes. Before we get to uh, the... Uh... God, what is it we do at halftime? Oh, the poll. The Jeez. poll! 
before we get to the poll, um, four years ago, Frank Darabont brought a series to uh, AMC called The Walking Dead. And he kind of heralded and, and babysat this series and was its showrunner for the first year, making it one of the most uh, profitable series that AMC has ever had and to this day still has ever had. At the end of the first season, they uh, kind of gave him hero status and brought him around uh, for interviews and brought him to San Diego Comic-Con and all these wonderful places. And right before they began season two, they fired him. Yep. <laughs> kind of a hearty hi-ho, fuck you. And it was ridiculous. But uh, Darabont... And then look what happened to season two. <coughs> well, season two kind oh, of sucked. season two was so but, bad. I mean, kind of? Darabont was a gentleman about the whole thing. He never pointed fingers... He never called AMC jackasses for doing it. He was never a name caller. He was never anything until last week. Uh Four years later, Frank Darabont walked to his bank and was out of money because of creative bookkeeping that AMC had done in paying or not paying him the royalties he's owed for the past three seasons. AMC, according to Frank Darabont's lawyers, owe him over four over $10 million in royalties. No, Wow. I'm going to betray complete and total ignorance, but it's really just that I have pre-holiday brain, <laughs> and all I can think about right now is <coughs> cookies and how many presents I have left wrapped. Did Frank Darabont write the comic? No. 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 Okay, I didn't think so. He, he was, he was he the... He created, created the series. Yeah. Right. And he he worked, started them on the traje- trajectory they were on. Correct. Which so, was pretty good. Yeah. The first so season, that first six episodes. kicked him in the you-know-whats and told him to get lost. <laughs> so, uh, the Hollywood Reporter says that, the ca- uh, that Darabont's lawyers are accusing the network of self-dealing, which is a practice that includes setting up unrealistically low licensing fees so that they never have to pay anything out. AMC used questionable accounting practices, surprise, depriving profit participants of compensation. He was wrongly terminated and wants to continue to receive executive producer credit, which they promised him when they let him go. According to Darabont, he's entitled to proceeds from the post-show The Talking Dead as well, and the spin-off series. And he's owed, as of this point, they are suing for $10 million in royalties. You know, this is a practice for people with horror movies because they have, Hollywood has screwed over George Romero since yeah. Night of the Living Dead. I mean, when you hear poor George talk now, and no, I'm not saying that George is, is in an alleyway with a wine bottle somewhere, but George Romero was so screwed over on some of his movies. It's unbelievable. And he, we got to hear him live talking about it at one to point. To be fair, though, I mean, I, they they really did screw him over, but at least there's not someone out there who's still making money off Walking Dead, or off, off Walking Dead, off of Night of the Living Dead. It went into um, the public domain. Yes, it went they, into the public domain too early, but it went into public domain. However, they did it on other movies of his, though, as well, Zombarian, for yeah. like... 
Night of the Living, I mean, for uh, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, um, for the Dark Half, uh, some of the other ones that he did as well. He oh, did yeah. This wonderful creative accounting that Dome was just talking about, and he has seen very little money from the stuff that he actually did, and people love George Romero and go see his movies, and then he doesn't get any of the money, which yeah. is not fair. Oh, yeah, and, and they definitely absolutely screwed him over. I'm just saying that with Night of the Living Dead, which is argu arguably his most famous, mm -hmm. at least if he's not getting the money, no one is. No one is because right. it drops into public domain is. very quickly. No, you're right about that. But I'm just saying with some of the other ones, because I think it was, one of the big ones was um, the, the, the one about the monkey um, that he did from the... From the Stephen King short story. Oh, uh, oh, not not Cujo. That's the one about the dog. No, that's the, the dog. No, the one about the monkey. The the person was a quadriplegic, and they had the monkey that was helping them. Right. And the monkey went Cujo on him. Um, <laughs> the monkey Cujoed. Yeah, <laughs> but he was saying how they had hired him, and they <clears throat> said, you know, you're you're George Romero. We know that your movie's going to make lots of money, so. If you sign this contract, we're going to give you so much now, but you're going to make all this other money from the, the residuals. And, and it never happened. And, it, and they're like, oh, yeah, it made millions of dollars, but guess what? There's none left. It caught, they always say it costs millions to put it out there. So That goes back to the, the creators of Superman and Batman. Right. Yep, absolutely. It absolutely does. With yeah. the exception of Bob Kane, they all, almost all of them died poor. Yep. Which is so, thing. it's sad. It's very sad. About a month ago, Darabont uh, had a, uh, a conference call with a bunch of writers and called AMC sociopaths who don't give a shit about your feelings, feelings of your cast and crew, because they have their own reasons to screw everybody. The reason he was able to say that <laughs> is he was contractually forbidden to speak out against AMC or The Walking Dead for three years. Guess oh, what wow. ended last month? <laughs> <laughs> Guess why a month after that he's suing them? Because now he can. And Darabont's now got a new series <clears throat> on TNT called Mob City, which is really cool. And uh, yeah, That looks good. When's that coming out? It's actually uh, beginning, it's uh, starting to run, I think, now. Wow. So, yeah. And it, and, uh, uh What's uh, John Berenthal, uh, who was killed in the first season of uh, second season of Walking Dead, uh, and uh, Jeff Demun, who was also in uh, Walking Dead, have joined him in that cast. So, you know, he's he's. It's not like he's he's uh, in an alley with a bottle of wine. By the same token, he's owed the money. AMC, pay the fuck up seriously. Seriously, you you know it's the biggest money maker you guys have ever had, and you did nothing but screw the creator. Thanks for nothing. Bigger than Breaking Bad. Yeah, actually, it was. It made more money. Wow, made more money for them. Because it's Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which brings us well past the halfway point at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for for a week we had no uh, no news. We we found stuff to talk about. We had a poll this week. We and did. if you've ever been pulled, you know how painful it can be? <laughs> Sorry. And we Had promised it. you it was going to be a sexy poll this week. A sexy poll. <laughs> sexy poll. 
So we asked people who the who the best fembot was. You've had your choice. I mean, there's a lot of good ones out there. You know, there were some that I hadn't thought of. There were a ton of them. We actually came up with winners, though. Um, we had two. We had a tie for third place, which it's also the 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 people who were well the the characters in tie were very interesting on diametric diametrically opposed kind of ends of that spectrum. Um, for third place, the tie was between the Jetsons made Rosie. Ow. And Pris from Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, opposite ends of the uh, the Fembot poll there. Um, coming in at second place, we had a tie between Cameron Phillips, who is the the bot, the female Summer Glau bot from the Terminator TV show. And she was tied with the Buffy bot. <laughs> and I, I'm sure there's fanfic out there now that can start after that. Uh, yeah, what a shock that's going to be. <laughs> and then coming in at number one, which was a real surprise, um, and I have to say that X had wanted me to say that he was very unhappy with everybody's choice on this one. <laughs> but, and he, he made me promise. Please just tell me it wasn't Vicky from Little Wonder. No, it was oh, Dr. Tricks. From Spaceballs, the Joan Rivers bot. <laughs> in at number one. Wow. Okay, so we have a lot of twisted listeners. Very, very. And, and interestingly enough, many of the people who voted actually called it the Joan Rivers bot, not even Dot Matrix. <laughs> the Joan Rivers bot. The Joan Rivers bot. Um, we did have some interesting ones in that somebody had asked. Uh, somebody voted for Bender in the episode where he wore a dress. I kid you not. Uh, we had one vote for uh, number six, which I was surprised we did have more votes for number six from Battlestar Galactica. Um, somebody brought up the Cherry 2000. I even forgot about that one myself. Yeah, well, that was an eminently forgettable one. Well, that's well, the whole movie was forgettable. But. Exactly. Um, somebody actually voted for Gypsy from MST3K, our winners from last one. <laughs> and somebody had mentioned Highlands Friday. There is a great, that was a great bot right there. So, Classic. there you go, guys. It was a very, a lot of, I, I can't even tell you, there was a ton of people who voted, but... Wow, what an interesting mix. And Joan Rivers is the winner of the sexiest fembot. Um. <laughs> Holy crap. <clears throat> okay. kind of scares me. <laughs> so we will have a new pull-up for you guys next week. Well, next week is Christmas week. I'm wondering, you know, how we're going to... Uh, I'm not even sure how we're going to do this. But we'll figure it out. I'm not either. It's my birthday next Thursday. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'll be doing. <laughs> I don't know what any of us are going to be doing, and that's just an odd way of doing it. Joining us <clears throat> now is uh, a an artist and, and an entrepreneur that we met at Boston Comic Con, who uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing for years. Uh, hmm. Artist, musician, uh, entrepreneur, uh, all around 
taller than me guy, Tom Zotis. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Les. <laughs> yeah, those of us who know me from way back when do not know me as Dome, and that's fine. Uh, so, I mean, Tommy, we've been together, uh, we, I mean, we've known each other for a ton of years, and bumping into you at Boston was, was great fun for me. So tell me what you were doing at Boston, uh, the company you now own, and the kind of stuff that you're doing. Well, I was revisiting the world of comic books and the world of uh, comic book conventions. Uh, I've been away from it for a couple of years, uh, sitting out on my farm in out in Massachusetts, trying to decide what to do next, and <laughs> I came up with with the the conclusion was go back to what I did before because there still hasn't been kind of cool stuff in the marketplace uh, for movies, TV, and comic books and cartoons. Uh, which I kind of introduced in the eighties. Now, what did you do in the eighties when you when you were uh, doing that? In the, in the mid eighties, I convinced the Walt Disney Company to give me a art license. Now, you would think that would be that sounds kind of easy to do because no, that's Disney. That's totally yeah. Right. That would not be easy to do. But the, but no, but the company's based on art. But they didn't even understand what do you mean by an art license. And I, you know, I was hard to explain. I said, "Well, I'd like to make adult art. I'd like to make Disney like products for adults." And that sounded dirty. <laughs> uh, why am I surprised? Yeah, <laughs> to, to them that sounded dirty. So, so uh, I proceeded to, you know, talk to everybody I could at the studios, and they kept pawning me off. Saying we don't we don't understand it we we just don't get it this is it's a it's for kids it's for this it's for that I said yeah but you know I'm not a kid and I I like the Disney brand and I like the history of Disney and I can see adult artwork on walls in a home in a office area in a rec room and so they kept the head of licensing said. Well, mock some stuff up and show it to us. So I, I mocked some stuff that went into the studio in Burbank. Uh, and they liked it, but they said, we still don't know what to do with it. So they introduced me to the head honcho, a guy named Bo Boyd. The name was scary, you know. <laughs> and this guy was like the, the, the hammer of the Walt Disney Company. Oh, jeez. I happen to get into an elevator at the, at the studios with him, and he, he gets in the elevator, because I, you know, I, I definitely stalked him to know what he looked like, and he was in the elevator with other Disney employees, and he didn't look, he just looked like a Marine, he just looked straight ahead, he didn't acknowledge anybody, his co-workers, his co-people, his colleagues, he was a very staunch character, and Disney was kind of a straight lace back in the 80s. And they, uh, they weren't doing too well. They, they had a catastrophe called Tron. And they, really, they were really the kiss of death. The studio was not doing good. It was, owned, it was being run by some oil guys from Texas. And it was just a big mess. And Michael Eisner just got in there and he just hired a kid named Jeffrey Katzenberg. 
So I, I got in there at the right time, and they finally pawned me off on, on an attorney. There's a lawyer that likes artwork who really runs this whole place. I said, a lawyer runs this place? Yeah, go see him. So I went in to see him, and I brought a portrait that I had found of Walt Disney standing in a doorway. Uh, and the picture is just fantastic. You know, Walt Disney was... Actually, there's a movie out about him right now. It's coming out. <laughs> Christmas. He was he was a very thin man and he had terrible teeth in in those early years. And every early picture of him he was he had a cigarette in his hand or in his mouth or he was smiling with these terrible teeth. And I wanted to find some portrait of him uh, that looked cool but I couldn't and I finally I was going through the archives, I found this incredible portrait of him standing in a doorway with a shadow of Mickey Mouse being cast near him, and it was just this incredible picture. And I went into the lawyer's office and said, this is my piece of art. I found this picture in your archives, which is, hasn't been used, uh, and I've tinted it, I put some artwork around it, some nice colors and lettering. Walt Disney Studios, and and it and it was great looking, and he liked it. But he said, "I love that picture. And I, I haven't seen it in a long time, but we don't know who took it, so we would have copyright issues." So that that was a a downer. So I went back into archives, and I searched and searched. I found the outtakes. Walt Disney took that actual picture himself. Oh wow! Right, and that, you can see, the pictures online. You can see it. Mm -hmm. So I brought it. I brought it to uh, national prominence. It had to be approved by Mrs. Disney and the daughter, Diane Disney, who just passed away a, a few weeks ago. Uh, they had to approve it because there was a contract with Michael Eisner and those oil guys that Walt Disney could never be merchandised without their permission. And Walt Disney was never really merchandised. There was only a few few products in that long history that were, had his uh, likeness on it. So my graphic of his photograph uh, was really the first piece of art that was marketed to the public. And I had a big home run with it. And that opened all the doors that I needed. Yeah, that became a very iconic picture, too. <laughs> yeah, a year later, Michael Eisner blew it up 20 feet tall and put it in their brand new uh, building at the, at the, in Burbank. Yeah, and the one the one that's right right near uh, NBC Studios. Correct. Yeah, yeah. That was, they, they, you know, they built this beautiful new studio, tore down that old classic studio, parts of the old classic studio. Mm for that new beautiful building and and they blew up that image so from that point on it was easy to get meetings with the the studios and the licensing people and the and the, and the uh, old timers the great old artists from the old days because what I was what my idea was that picture launched the idea of let's dig up the past of Warner Brothers Paramount go back into the archives and pull out the gems and let the new boomers, because you know, boomers were getting to the age of, they're not gonna might might not be interested in a Picasso, but they might be interested in a 
blueprint of the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and I was right. They that's I hit I hit the right nerve, and I, I found the audience, and the timing was all correct. And uh, I got very fortunate and put out uh, graphics that were from the boomers' childhood, uh, from TV shows, like I did the blueprints from the Star Trek vehicles, I did all the vehicles from Star Wars, um, and then an iconic images of, of Batman, you know, got to meet Bob Kane, hang out with Bob and dig into his archives and pull stuff out and kind of republish it for, an, for another generation. And I really chimed in on uh, for a second there about how how these great old artists all got ripped off by that creative accounting by the studios. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Every one of them, and it sounds like uh, from Dome's report that they're still doing it. Oh it's, yeah, it's unfortunate, but it sure does seem that way. Yeah, it's appalling. It's appalling. But on a on a on a <coughs> positive note. Uh, so I, so recently, I I attended a couple of Comic Cons on the East Coast and tested some Crow product and some Pacific Rim blueprint <coughs> from the Guillermo now, del Toro movie. Now the crow the crow stuff that you had with you uh, at at Boston in Rhode Island uh, is uh, commensurate with the the new updated version that's coming out. No, no, it's the old, it's the, uh... It's the old version. Yeah, the old movie. I took some iconic images of, uh, Mr. Lee and popped them a little, put some pop culture on top of them, and, and some ideas and, and, and tested the waters. Do people still remember The Crow? And, of course, going to three shows this year, people love The Crow, and The Crow seems like it's echo it's having an echo boomer effect because the the parents have turned their children onto the crow. So as I was sitting at those comic book conventions, the parents were coming up and the kids were saying, "Oh, Dad, there's the crow!" And then I, I'd ask the kid, "How do you know about the crow?" And my father made me watch it. No, oh, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that parents are having their kids watch the crow. Yeah, yeah. it's it that. It, uh, I was there to, to run that test. I, you, you've got to get out into the street, so to speak, and hear it and see it uh, with your own eyes and your own and hear it with your own ears to see if it it's still there. And that's what I heard over and over and over again. Uh, there was some enthusiasm over it, and I was telling a lot of people that the new movie is going to come out maybe next year, maybe next next around Christmas time, but I'm not sure where that stands. I've, I haven't been in touch with anybody from that studio, but it's a big budgeted film. It's it's a Warner Brothers relativity project. It's got a, you know, a big star attached to it. It's got a, a, good, a big director, and uh, that's actually happening. So, which is an interesting thing, you know, I, it's never going to beat that movie, but it's going to, you know, it's going to be another another era so another generation uh, gets turned on to it and then maybe go back to that, that original uh, movie but I noticed over the last year Showtime it showed the crow 
put the crow on rotation uh, uh, on their uh, movie schedule. So that's how they do it. They start indoctrinating new generations to a, an old movie to, when they when they're gonna re reinstate a, a sequel or. A, Which is why you're seeing a lot of RoboCop, uh, old RoboCop movies now. Right. Uh, you know, pending the the release of the the big reboot that's coming up. Uh, in a couple of months. So, where does this leave you now? You've, you're retesting the waters, uh, bringing out uh, some new graphics. What What's the future like for you? What What are your plans for the next couple of years with this? Well, I, te I also tested the, those uh, the robots from uh, Pacific Rim and got yeah. a tremendous response at all at all three conventions. I did That's the I did Granite Com, Boston Comic Con, and the Rhode Island Comic Con, and uh, there was a real resonance and a real uh, excitement over those um, blueprints. Now, going to that show, I saw all my old material from fifteen, eighteen, twenty years ago, <laughs> bootlegged <laughs> in. In people's booths, people took my old blueprints from Star Trek, Star Wars, and the Batmobiles. They put them in, you know, cheap little copy machines, framed them up, and they're selling them at all the comic book conventions. <laughs> so, I'm thinking now I should go back and reinstate my old deals and put out the real good, high quality product instead of cheapy, lousy Xeroxes. <laughs> my the blueprints were really printed, and they were done beautifully. Well, it was the, st the stuff you had from Pacific Rim was... Uh, you know how I knew? I mean, I don't know, other than from, you know, looking at it, whether I like it or not, whether it's good or not. I, it, if I like it, I like it. But I don't know, you know, how good it is. But when we were at Rhode Island, uh, one of my good friends does a uh, robot uh, comic book called Robot God Akamatsu, Frankie yeah. B. Washington. Hey, Frankie. And I brought Frankie over to look at that, and his eyes almost popped out of his head. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> that. He loved it, yeah. No, I, the response I got over those prints, because I, I used a new printing technique, uh, and it three-dimensionalizes the parts of the image. Yeah, it really just pops it right off the page at you. It's really gorgeous. So basically, I'm thinking now get back, get out to LA and and visit the studios. The the, the big honchos are still in their ivory towers, and all the little people are gone, of course. The, so, but the big boys are still up in there, and I still know the heads of those studios. And I'm gonna go in there and pitch uh pitch some ideas and, and try to reinstate. They kind of you know. I see the high end, they're high end, but they're not expensive. They're high end, production wise, mm -hmm. but they're very inexpensive. Uh, the pricing was incredibly reasonable, absolutely. And and some of them are going to be in portfolio form, where you get eight eight images in an eleven by fourteen portfolio, or some might be. Uh, I think the blueprints from Pack Rim were uh, are uh, twelve by eighteen. Mm -hmm. And the pricing is from ten to twenty bucks, which is very reasonable. That is reasonable for that. You get a, a real collector's item. In in the in the past, when I did this, 
I really did low numbers of of runs. Not you know you're not going to be able to. It might be a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, whatever it might be. It's going to be low, not a million, or not a hundred thousand. And uh, make them real collectible. That's kind of the trick to it. There's lots of lots of the product I made back in the day. Uh, and I say back in the day, you know, I started going to Comic Con in the 80s, and I think my last Comic Con was in 2000. And I always kept a limited edition artwork to 350 pieces, and did tons of them. And they they don't show up on eBay or anywhere because people are still still cherish and still have them. So I think if you if you're true to the fan base and you make something that's really limited and really special, it's uh they stay collected and they stay in people's collections. And recently I had to <laughs> recently I paid fifty bucks for one of my uh Star Wars vehicle <laughs> blue one of yours? Because I don't have any. <laughs> they retail for. They went. I started out at twelve dollars, and I think we bumped it up to fourteen ninety five after two years. I just paid fifty bucks because I don't have a set myself. <laughs> <laughs> so that's. I guess it's a pays homage to making good product. People hold on to it. Absolutely. And absolutely. You don't see. I don't see the stuff on eBay. I've got people hunting for some of my old stuff on eBay and it doesn't come up very often. So that's the intention to, you know, get out there and and uh, I'd like to also work on Bob Kane stuff. So for some reason people have forgotten that guy. Mm. He's he was the greatest the Batman artist. Yep. And he was the guy. I mean and and he's kind of just got kicked to the curb after, he pa after his passing. You know, you know the Batman movies are out there. And his name flashes on the screen at the beginning and at the end, but there's a... Uh, I spent quite a bit of time with him. Uh, and there's a... In my secret uh, briefcase, I've <laughs> got some ideas to bring out some real Bob Kane artwork from those early days. And that's one of the things I'm, I'm uh, working on. So your plan is over the next couple of years to hit the con circuit a lot harder with the whole set of new reproductions and graphics for them. For a lot, yeah, for several properties. Just mm -hmm. stuff that's like like you saw at my booth. Uh, things that things that are uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Inexpensive, that's it. High yeah. quality and relevant to, to you know maybe decorating your house or, or your man cave or your girl cave. <laughs> or or my office here in Area Fifty One. Absolutely. Right. So as we get closer to to the con season next year, uh, let's have you back and let's talk about what you're going to have available. Then how's that? Terrific. Terrific. That sounds like a plan. Tom, I mean, we could talk for another two hours, or we could actually sign off because it's about time to do that. Okay. But thank, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was really cool to see you again, and and really cool to reconnect with you, man. Really nice. Yeah, if you want to see some of the stuff I've done in the past, just go to TomZotos.net. It'll be on our. It'll be on the website. We will bring right. that out for you. All right, everybody. Thank you.
Thank you, Tom. Priyana, what's coming up for the next couple of weeks? You'd think I'd have it up. You'd you think... would think, because you just sent me three notes going, it's time. So I figured you were You know, I was giving you a heads up, but yeah, you would, you would think. And yet, no. And yet, okay, so next week, we're talking to Matt Lohr and Diane O'Bannon to promote Dan O'Bannon's Guide to Screenplay Structure, which I have in my hands right now. The week after that, on the 11th, Frankie B. Washington and James Biggie rejoin us to talk about their Robot God Akamatsu trade paperback. Hey, ho. On the 18th, Aaron Wood shares his industrial design propaganda art. And on the 25th, legendary artist Griffin S. who still owes me a supernatural print. And still owes me one as well. Dead Redhead. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic-Con, Ranacon, Rhode Island Comic-Con, and ComicArthouse.com. Visit ComicArthouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by the Traffic Lights. Pick up their CD, Hold a Folk, at RobWattsOnline.com. Doom? Well, if you're still listening to us, you spent an hour with us when you could have actually been doing something productive. In lieu of that, I want to thank our cast for uh, being with me tonight and and doing whatever it is that we've been doing for as long as we've been doing it. From the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana and the Grammar Girl Soundbarian. Thank you so much, ladies. That was a dramatic. It was a dramatic pause. It was Star Wars holiday special level entertainment. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's From the what we of all the comics. Thank you, Dead Redhead. <laughs> Sayonara, everyone. This is Don saying, "Genie shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased." Thus, do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>